Thank you, William. Well, we're going to have some fun today, so uh, if you've got the look on your face and in the mood that you've been baptized in dill pickle juice, uh, it probably won't be very good for you today, but uh, last week we started Proverbs chapter 7, and uh, you know, um, we're going to, I got to tell you, uh, uh, you know, and I told you this Thursday night, I'm always kind of aware of my crowd that I'm preaching to, because I know that, uh, you know, you have what I call entry-level Christians that are just getting into the Bible, and you have mid-level Christians that are doing, moving along in the Bible, and then you have, you know, upper-level Christians that are really been around for a while and really in the book and really know the Word of God, and you know, in preaching, you, you want to try to give something to everybody. Not always the easiest thing to do. I certainly don't want to confuse anybody, but I always want to challenge people. And I think that uh, one of the things I want to accomplish today uh, and, uh, is I want to show you the depth of the book of Proverbs. We've talked a lot about Proverbs being the fundamental issues of life, and they are. We find in Proverbs everything we need to really understand uh, how to get through the issues in life. No question about that. But there's a depth to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs in a particular book represents the mind of God. We know that. And we know that God's mind, there's, <laughs> it's, it's endless as far as the depth is concerned. The book of Proverbs is a book that is endless as far as depth is concerned. And uh, I, I, I want to show you some things today that, uh, that I think are going to uh, motivate you. It ought, certainly ought to uh, convict us and certainly uh, um, give you some great insight into the book of Proverbs. Now, I've got to tell you, we're going to use our Bibles today. Normally, you know, and a lot of times we go to a verse and we talk about it and I'll make references. We're going we're gonna to go through the Bible today and some things to show you this. And uh, if you're not a, a very adapted to the Bible yet, that's okay. Don't be embarrassed about that. If you don't have a Bible today, don't be embarrassed about that. Tell John or one of the guys back there to get your Bible. We'll give you one. Or just look on somebody uh, that has one. If you're bigger than they are, take their Bible. That doesn't matter to us. We don't care. <clears throat> We're just glad that you're here, and I want you to get this. Now, last week, <clears throat> as I said, we started Proverbs chapter 7. And I told you that this is the last time as we start to come through Proverbs that we get down the concept of my son. Fourteen times now in the first seven chapters, we've seen the instructions of a father to, to the son, and he starts out by saying, my son, direct things that he wants us to know. I showed you last week that how these first seven chapters uh, are, are preparatory chapters. They're, cha- they're, they're chapters that get you ready for the rest of the book. They tell you what you should be doing in your life so that when you get into chapter 8, which we'll be getting into a couple of weeks, now you've got a good, strong foundation to build on. All this material, we've seen it so far from a practical sense, all this material and what follows in chapter 8 through 31 is written to give you and me as the Son of God, Israel as the Old Testament sons of God, the wisdom and understanding and discernment and discretion. And in particular, to keep us from being deceived, to keep us from being fooled and drawn away from God. This is what we've seen now uh, in chapter 7, the first week we looked at it. 
to keep us from getting drawn away from God by the two major threats that are represented in this book. One, the evil man, which we know now is the worldly structure of everything in the world, and the strange woman, which we know now is organized religion that is outside the Bible Christianity, which is only purpose is to destroy you and wind you up in hell. We've talked about that. The whole book of Proverbs is about these two people and what they represent and what they will do to you. Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. Now, I want to begin reading in Proverbs chapter 7, verses 6 through 23. We'll come down through it and then we'll, we'll make some, some remarks here. Uh, it says in verse 6, For at the window of my house I looked through my casement. And behold, among the simple ones, I discerned among the youth, a young man void of understanding, passing uh, through the street near her corner. And he went the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn, her feet abide not in her house." Now she is without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him hard. I'd put that in there just so you'd get that. (laughs) So she kissed him, and with an imprudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me, and this day have I paid my vows. Oh, religious hooker. We all need one of those in our lives. Here we go. Verse 15. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I have decked my bed with the coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen from Egypt. Remember now, Egypt's a type of the world in the Bible, so want to watch this thing. I have perfumed my bed with mirth, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. For the goodman is not at home. He has gone uh, on a long journey. And he hath taken a a bag of money with him, and he will come home at the day appointed. Uh, With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Till a dart strike through his liver, uh, as a bird hasteneth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to my words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell. Now, Father... Thank you for all that you give us, and thank you for uh, the book of Proverbs, and and help us, Lord, to learn today. Lord, I love these folks, and uh, these are the people that you've given to me, and I always always feel such a a great responsibility to not only give them good Bible, but to give them the truth, and the Lord to help them grow, uh, to help them uh, stretch and exercise themselves. And I, I pray, Father, today that you'll take on whatever level these Christians are, and if they can't get it all, they get enough to motivate them about some things that will want them to grow more and to learn more about you. And let them know that I'm always available. Anytime they can come over to my home and I'll sit down and I'll help them I'll figure out the Bible on Thursday night or whatever it takes to help them get to where uh, you want them to be with the Word of God. But help us today. Give us the things that we need and, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a shake we ask it. Amen. 
Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch you today a little bit. Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14 says that we as Christians need to have our senses exercised. And you do that by stretching. A man that you go to the gym and he's a, a bulked up bodybuilder, you know, and he looks in the mirror all the time at himself and, and he's huge, you know, like the Incredible Hulk. He got there because he obviously overdid it, but he, he, he stretched his muscles. He, he made his muscles. He ripped them and then they, they repaired themselves and they keep adding to them. And that's, that's what he does to get the bulk that he has. As a Christian, you need to have a lot of bulk in your life with the Bible. You need to have that book saturating in you, and you ought to be Mr. Olympus when it comes to uh, the Bible in a spiritual sense. You ought to have muscles bulging out all over the place in the sense of Bible doctrine and what the Bible does. But the only way you get there is for somebody to exercise you and to stretch you. And it's sermons like this that not only will show you, and my goal is to motivate you to see the book of Proverbs of the depth that it is, but my goal also is to help stretch you today. And as always, there's things that you don't grasp or you don't understand. My home is always welcome. As soon as I'm done here, I go back there and I take appointments on Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. You can come over to my house. You can ask me any question. I'll lay out anything for you. My goal is to help you grow. Last week in verse 4, we saw, if you remember, that wisdom, the Bible said, was to be made our sister. And understanding was to be called thy kinswoman. That's like an aunt or a, maybe a niece. And I told you from that verse that the practical application for you and for me, when the Bible says that uh, wisdom is my sister and understanding is to call my, the kinswoman in my life, I, I told you the practical application with that is very clear. God's wisdom and God's understanding needs to be part of our families. When you're raising up your children, when you get married and you start to build a home, the two women that you want to bring into your home that will help you with that is wisdom and understanding. Now, these two naturally come into any family through a marriage. And once you and I get saved, we are espoused to be married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then wisdom and understanding should be part of that marriage agreement that we have that automatically come into your house because you're going to get to the point where you're now a spouse to the Lord Jesus. And someday at the marriage of the Lamb, uh, we're going to be married to Him. Now we see another woman show up. And she's called a strange woman. And I, I, for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is because she's a stranger to the things of God. She's an evil woman. And all that she does, it's nothing but wickedness. And she wants to come in, here it comes, she wants to come in and be part of your family for the purpose of wrecking your family. We've all heard stories of, well, that woman's a home wrecker. Here's the original home wrecker right here. This woman comes in, and when you allow her to be part of your family, when you allow her to come in, she will do nothing but destroy uh, your family. She wants to come in, and she wants to wreck your home. She wants to break up your family. And in a practical sense, this chapter is really a comparison of these three women who want to be brought into your family. One of them is wisdom. You should have that one in. The other one is understanding. You want to have that one. But the evil woman and the strange woman, you don't want this woman in your house. 
You don't want ever to accept her, to be associated with her, or bring her into her family. She will destroy you, and everything that comes into her contact and her path, she will destroy. And do you also know that there's people in life just like that? There's people in life that their whole purpose is to destroy other Christians. I've seen it all my life. Whatever they touch, whatever they get associated with goes down. Now, again, this chapter, we see this strange woman for what she, or who, I guess we should say, who she really is. She's the harlot of Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Here again, we laid that out on Thursday night. You can begin to see how Thursday blends into to Sunday. And in the passage, the Holy Spirit goes into great detail to show us the picture of the encounter here that takes place, the seduction that takes place, the sin that is involved, and the death of the victim, the spiritual death, like we talked about last week. But if you also notice, this one is different from the one we've looked at before. The last time we saw this, it was a picture of Israel as God's wife stepping out on her husband to commit uh, adultery, her husband being God in a spiritual sense, and then being, uh, you know, seduced and taken away from God as his wife. But this one's different. In this one, we see Israel as God's son. And what happened that caused him to fall as God's son? And you can bet there'll be some great things here for you and I as this child of God and the sons of God here too. Now, as I said, we're going to go deep. So get a good breath of air because we're going down here where the whales are at. We may even see a hundred foot squid down here. We're going to be so deep. Look at verse six. Here we go. At the window of my house, I look through my casement. Now that's a picture of God looking down on the things that men do on planet earth. We've saw this several times in the Bible. Psalms 11 verses 4 through 7 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold the eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked shall he rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth uphold uh, the upright. Now it says there that the Lord is in heaven and his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. God is always looking down and seeing what man is doing. Now this is why most sin takes, gets taken care of at night. This is why most crimes take care of at night. This is when most things that people want to do that are wrong, they'll wait till night because they think that if it's dark, God can't see what goes on. And the Bible says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But what they forget is that God has that x-ray vision that cuts right through the darkness. In Genesis chapter 6, that around verse 5, when the whole world turned wickedness, the Bible says that God looked down and saw the wickedness of man. A little bit later on in Genesis chapter 11, when man now has turned back to uh, the way of this evil woman and this strange man, and they built the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, the Bible says that God looked over the banishes of heaven and saw what men was doing and came down and take a look at it. Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis chapter 18 and 19. Here again, God himself saw the wickedness of Sodom and he came down 
to see what guys were doing. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says that all things are naked and open under the eyes of him which we have to do. God looks down and sees what men is doing. Now historically this picture here is obviously Solomon. And Solomon is looking from his porch out the window or at least through a lattice watching this event unfold with this young man and this harlot of the night. And he's watching this thing unfold. But in typology, in in truth, in doctrine, it's God looking through the windows of heaven, watching what man is doing. There is absolutely so much here. One of the greatest studies you're ever going to take out of the Bible is a study of the windows in heaven. And uh, you'll find that in Genesis chapter 8, verse 2 is the first time you find it. The windows of heaven opened up and the waters came down. Uh, I've had people over the years and say, ah, oh, windows in heaven. You know, in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 19, God told some people that he was going to open up some windows in heaven and that there were windows in heaven and one guy scoffed at it. And when God finally opened up those windows and brought down what he brought down, he killed that guy. He killed that guy for laughing about windows in heaven. I'm telling you. Einstein's theory of relativity believed in him. Last Thursday night, we talked about black holes out of the book of Jude, and I showed you how that the wandering stars to whom reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I showed you how that everything up there in outer space is a picture of something in your Bible. Well, Einstein come up with a theory of called wormholes. And wormholes are corridors through time by which you pass from one dimension to another. Now, he can never prove it. Nobody's ever proven it. But the theory is that there's windows up there in heaven or corridors that if a man got in, he could go through one dimension to another. Einstein just didn't have a Bible to put the whole thing together. He didn't figure it out. He was deluded. He had an IQ of 228 and couldn't figure out how to use a pay toilet. He was, he, he was so inept when it comes to the things of the scriptures. In Song of Solomon. Now you want to turn over to this one. In Song of Solomon chapter 2, you know what you have? You have one of the greatest pictures of anywhere in the Bible. Of the rapture of the church. The whole book of Song of Solomon is built around Christ looking at you right now. And he tells you exactly. Somebody has said to me over the years many times, how, how, do I, how do I love God? The book of Song of Solomon tells you how to do that. I've had people ask me, how does God look at me? Song of Solomon tells you that. Song of Solomon is broken down into two formats. The first format is it shows you how God is looking at you right now, thinking about you right now, and wants to be with you right now. The second part of that book is you ought to feel the same way toward him. One of the most tragic things of life for a Christian is Christ looking down, wanting to be with us every second of the day, loving us, can't waiting to be with us, and we care nothing about being with him. Now look at Song of Solomon chapter 2. It says in verse 8, The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Here it comes. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. You know, you know what he's telling you there? 
He's telling you right now as we're sitting here, this afternoon, whatever you do, tomorrow morning, wherever you go, wherever you go to the rapture of the church, the Son of God, your bridegroom, who loves you and me, the bride, so much that he wants to be with us so much that right now he can't wait to be with us. He's looking through that window watching you and me wanting to be with us. You know, in marriage, it's the common thing that the bridegroom is not supposed to see the bride on the wedding day. That doesn't work much anymore. Of course, nothing works much anymore with weddings like they used to be. But, but it, it, it's a true. That concept came out of the Bible. That day that you get married is supposed to represent Christ and the church, and Christ doesn't see the church, but the anticipation of that, the first time that that guy is supposed to see the woman is when she walks down that aisle. And that woman is coming down the aisle to the bridegroom. That represents in type or a picture of the rupture of the church, the day that you and I are going to go to our bridegroom. And how excited he is right now. He's looking through the windows. We ain't looking for him. Reminds me of that old country western song. Here's one you can sing. I was looking back to see if you were looking back at me, if you were looking back to me and looking back to see. Remember that song? I know you don't remember it. It's okay. <laughs> He's watching us right now. And the key is we are supposed to be looking back with the same, inter- and same love and the same uh, uh, wanting to be with him. And he says down there, verse 10, My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, there's the day I'm looking for right there. That's the day that my Lord can't wait any longer. And he finally comes back and he says to all of us, if you're saved today, rise up, my fair one, my love, and come away. That's the rapture of the church. Verse 11, for the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of the birds has come. The voice of the turtle. I don't know what a turtle sounds like, but the voice of the turtle. That's a turtle dove, by the way. It's heard in our land. What is the old saying? April showers bring what? It says you right there. The winter's past. There goes the winter. The rain is over. There's the April showers. The flowers. It's May. Now, I don't know the day of the rapture, the time of the rapture, but based on that, I can almost guarantee you, when we hear that trumpet sound and he says, rise up and come away, it's going to either be May or June. Now, you know it's a strange thing. You know when most marriages every year take place? May and June. A June bride. Look at verse 13. The fig tree. That's Israel. Put forth her green figs and the vines with her tender grape and give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. That's a picture of the day he comes back for me and you. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he's looking at you right now through those windows. Oh, there's windows up there. Now look at verse 7. And I beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youth, a man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner. And he went away to her house. Now, when God looks down at men on this planet Earth, now we know that he has windows. When it comes to religion and politics and all the things of the issues of life, he sees this guy right here. And brother, in 40 plus years of ministry, I've seen a thousand like him. Now, there's a couple of things about this guy. First of all, he's void of understanding. He's a simple one, literally and spiritually. 
He's a young man who obviously forsook the instructions of his father. And now he's out on his own about to make a real mess out of his life. Have you ever seen anybody in life like that? If the Bible was a book that had fill in the blanks on this particular issue, I could put out 10,000 names in it over 40 some years. The real concept here, the real concept here is that, that, that this young man has no understanding. And you'll remember the definition of understanding, how God uh, fits into any situation. But there's three aspects to understanding. The first aspect we would have would be perception. Perception is your ability to see something and not miss it. We go through life and miss a thousand things a day that God would like us to see, but because we don't have any perception, we never see them. The second thing is discernment. Discernment, once you see it, then you have the ability to discern what God is doing in that particular situation. And the third part is discretion. Once you have perception, once you have discernment, then you have discretion. That is How am I going to get involved in this? Am I going to get involved in this? Or am I going to stay away from this? Now, that's understanding. The real bottom line will be what God's doing in this or through this or with this. In dealing with people, it's the ability to see their problems as they really are, not as they appear. And you see it all the time. People who get mad and leave churches, 98% of the time, the reason they tell you they're leaving is not the reason they're leaving. People will tell you what you want to hear. Deception deception is the order of rule of the day. But discernment, perception, and and discretion always lets you see what the real thing is. For you and for me, it's to be able to view any situation or circumstance, any relationship that comes our way, comes into my life, and be able to rate it on a spiritual value scale, zero to ten. And, of course, you, you make your association with it based on that. This guy doesn't have any of that. And yet, historically, as Solomon's son, he really doesn't have an excuse, does he? Wisdom was all around him. His daddy was the wisest man in the world. And like so many of us today, we have all the wisdom around us in the Word of God, in the church that you go to, the Holy Spirit of God living inside you. Just like there's no excuse for this young man, there is absolutely no excuse. You know what his problem was? He made the wrong choice. And you know what gets us into trouble every time? When we make the wrong choices. When we forsake the wisdom of our father and then launch out, as this young man does here, and he's on his own. Now, along with this, Proverbs says that about this guy, and it's, it's hard to feel sorry for him. It's hard to look at him as a victim. And I found in life that, boy, you find people all the time that want to play the victim. You'll find people will tell you their side of the story, and, and, and pat it their way so you'll think they're the victim. I have no respect for victims whatsoever. I, I just don't. You're either going to be a victim of life or you're going to be victorious in life. But you get to choose. You get to choose. You go around in your life and you tell your sad story. Well, this guy did this to me or this guy did this to me and I'm a victim and I'm this and I'm that or this circumstance was here. This guy had no way he could go through life claiming victim status. You know why? Because it was his choice to go down through her neighborhood. And he'd obviously been around there before because he knows where her house is. He made some choices in life. 
He's on a mission, verse 8 says. He's headed to the very neighborhood that she hangs out at. You know, as far as the areas of life, in a spiritual sense now, there's some neighborhoods you ought to stay out of. You know that? You know what 33rd and Truce is not a good place to be at 2 o'clock in the morning? You know that Van Brunt and Independence Avenue is not a good choice at 12 or 1.30 in the morning? I, I told you a couple of weeks ago the story of Samson in Judges chapter 13, verse 16. He's a perfect picture of this. We talked about it. He, had a, he was a Nazarite. He had a, he had a vow from God. He was going to do something for God, like so many of God's people. But he, one day he's going to see his woman. And he wants to take a shortcut. Now, as a Nazarite, there were some things that he couldn't do. He couldn't have anything to do with anything off a vine tree. He couldn't touch a dead animal or a dead body. There were some things that he couldn't do. So he's going down the road to see his woman. And obviously, he's excited to see her. He was more excited to see her than he was to see God, which is most of our problems today. So instead of going down the road, he decides to take a shortcut. And you know, the shortcut he took was through a vineyard, which he's supposed to stay out of. Wrong neighborhood. And lo and behold, when he goes to this vineyard, what does he find? He finds a lion. My Bible tells me the lion in 1 Peter chapter, uh, in the book of 1 Peter, or 2 Peter, is a, is, is, a, is, is a picture of the devil, is a roaring lion seeking who may devour. He went in the wrong neighborhood where he shouldn't have been, and there was the devil waiting for him in the court. He kills the lion, mighty Samson. The next day he takes a shortcut back through. There's that carcass of that lion. During that period of time, some bees had come in and now there's a honeycomb in there. Oh, Samson loves honey. He loves a lot of honeys. That's his problem. <laughs> he loves... <laughs> I just threw that in there. He, 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 he loves the honey. Now, there's a great principle. He's not supposed to touch a dead animal. And when he touched the dead animal to get the honey, he broke the Nazarite vow. Now, let me give you the principle on that. There's nothing wrong with him having honey, but look where the devil put it. There's a lot of things in life that are it's okay for you, but you got to watch where the devil puts it. See? I'm sorry, I wasn't going to start preaching a little later, but I'm just in the mood today, so I don't know what to tell you. The whole situation of this young man is he's in the wrong place that he shouldn't be. And he makes his own choices. And that's why there is no victim status in life for, in, in most cases. Now look at verse 9 and 10. Now here's where we're going to have some fun. Look at 9 and 10. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. Now, we're going to go boldly where wimpy preachers dare not go today. And we're going to look at this thing and we're going to go down into it. And from that verse, it's obvious that this lady works best at night. Now, the first lesson here I, I think is important for all of us to see is that this woman, we know that now from Revelation 17, 1 through 5, she is the harlot of Babylon mystery religion, the mother of harlots. 
She represents Rome. Now, Revelation chapter 17, verse 5 says, And upon her forehead uh, was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations on the earth. She represents in the Old Testament Baal worship. In the New Testament, she represents Romanism. And that is the false religions of the New Testament today. All other denominations, we showed you this the other Thursday night, come from her. And from verse 5, she is the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. Now watch this. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 9, that she operates best at night. Now, I don't know what you know about the Bible, but in the Bible, nighttime is always a reference to the church age. This is a picture of this harlot doing her work during the church period of time. Now, take your Bible and turn over to Daniel chapter 7. Now, I want to show you something here. Daniel chapter 7. Pick it up in verse 1. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. And he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. And da- Now, if you have a yellow marker here, you're sitting one of the tables back there, uh, this is where you can go to work. And Daniel said, uh, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night. You want to mark that. And behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. And four beasts came up from the sea, the verse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And I held till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon her feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear. And it raised itself up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth and, and between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and another like a leopard, which was upon the back uh, of the four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. And I saw in the market again, night vision. Behold, a fourth beast. This will be the Antichrist, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And he had great iron, uh, great iron teeth, and he devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, we know from our study on Thursday night when we come through the dispensations and the seven pillars that Daniel is about our sixth dispensation, the times of the Gentiles. And in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel's image, we know now, is a picture of the Gentile nation by which the devil will ride through history. We know that. And I gave them to you up through the Old Testament from Daniel 2. Babylon 606, Darius, Persia 536, Greece 330, and then Rome 100 B.C. These nations are the nations by which the devil will establish his world empire of religion and politics, and it will bring us right up to the New Testament. For years and years and years, there was a break that nobody understood Daniel chapter 7. And then about 200 years ago or so, some guys got the light on it and began to see, and I think a lot of things in the Bible just have to move with time and get pieces of history and then it makes everything fall into place. They saw in Daniel chapter 7 how it shows you the last three Gentile nations in the New Testament that are going to bring about the coming man of sin. The first one in verse 4 is the lion. 
While we all go through Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, Rome stays in power, and then the next world power that comes on the scene, found in Daniel 7, 4, is the lion. That'll be England from about the time of the Reformation up to about 1900. England was the world power of the world. The phrase was that the sun never set on the English soil. She had providences and places all over the earth. The second bear, or the second one is found in verse 5. It's the bear. What happened? October 1917, the Russian Revolution. And now Russia becomes the world power. Russia becomes the world power through communism. Look what it says in verse 5 about this bear. Arise. Devour much flesh. After World War II, from 1946 to 1990, we entered into the Cold War. You know what it means there when it says about this bear who's got flesh in his teeth, rise and devour much flesh? I'll tell you what it means. It means when Russia comes to world power, she does exactly that. Because in 1946 to 1990, in the Cold War, three quarters of the world falls to communism. Russia falls, Ukraine falls, Kiev falls, Czechoslovakia falls, Romania falls, Hungary falls, China falls, North Korea falls, Vietnam falls, Cuba falls, South America falls, Latin America falls, East Berlin falls, Laos falls, Albania falls, Bulgaria falls, Cambodia falls, Yugoslavia falls, the Congo falls, Ethiopia falls, Mongolia falls, Somalia falls, South Yemen falls, devour much flesh. That's exactly what she does. Then in 1991, you know what happens. Hey, I ain't telling you. God's people today, for the most part, are completely void of any understanding of the world that we live in. I don't know if you even know the, the, the singular event that forged everything that we're living in today and set up the whole system has its anniversary this month. June the 28th. Anybody tell me what happened on June the 28th of 1914? Anybody? In June the 28th, 1914, Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated in Bosnia. Can you even find Bosnia on a map? Do you even know where it's at? Nobody knows where it's at. They ask kids on a map in school today to find Somalia. That's south of Kansas as far as they're concerned. How about Albania? Could you find it on a map? Most people today to go to school and get an education, they have no clue. They think manual labor is the president of Mexico. Taco Bell is a Mexican phone company. In June the 28th, 1914, the Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated in Bosnia and it launched World War I. World War I was the war to end all wars and all it did was precipitate the next war, World War II. It was the entry level to it. But it set the stage for the nation of Israel to get back in the land. And it set the stage for the Antichrist who's right on schedule. And you know what happened in 1991? Soviet Union collapsed. You remember Ronald Reagan? How many know If you don't know who guy that sang Delilah in the Andrews Sisters with the... With the don't sit under the apple tree, you'll never... Who's Ronald Reagan? Anybody know? Not you. I, he was the president. His famous words. What was his famous words? Anybody know? Raise your hand. I'll have you shout it out. Well, I know you know. I, you probably know. Who, I mean, let's get some of the young ones here. 
You don't know. Who was it? Anybody know? Jimmy, who, what did he say? Tear down that wall. You know what wall that was? The Berlin Wall. And in 1991, the Russia collapsed. She collapsed. She lost everything. She went bankrupt. England went bankrupt. Russia went bankrupt. And then the next nation that comes on is the leopard. And that's the good old United States of America. Takes the stage as the world leader and world power. That leads right to the Antichrist. Notice, the leopard is a complete nation that has been completely integrated. America's called the great melting pot of, of, of nationalities. We go back to Genesis, and we find that Noah's three boys, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, procure the races on planet Earth. Japheth represents the white European, Shem represents the Oriental, and Ham represents the black man. And here we got in America the melting pot. So the animal that represents the United States is a leopard. It's got a yellow body of Shem. It's got the white body of Japheth. And it's got the black spots of Ham. A completely integrated melting pot of the nations all ready to rise to power for the Antichrist to take off and off he goes. And right now, America is the world power. Now, all these nations are in decline. America is in decline. I told you last week, no country on the face of this planet ever survived 200 years past dumping the Word of God. And America is what, 126 years past dumping it? So you're seeing in America the collapse from when she became the world power. And all of it's collapsing right now because there's going to be the next kingdom where the Antichrist is going to step in and bring it all right back together. You're living in some pretty good times, you know that? I'm reminded many, many times of that movie, Deep Impact, where that, that, that meteor was coming uh, to hit the earth, and they sent Bruce Willis's drill team up there to break it up and put bombs in it. Remember that movie? And that one goofy guy, he was all excited, but he was all excited because he got a front row to the end of the world, you know, and everybody's looking at him like, we want to go back. Oh, no, me, man, we got a front row to the end of the world. That's how I feel. We have a front row seat to the end of this planet and man's domination of it and the Lord coming back and taking it up. Now, that may not do much for you. That kind of excites me. And I ain't really excited yet. Yeah. <laughs> now, let me show you another one. What I'm about to show you is one of the most amazing things. He said in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2, when he laid out these two, three beasts there, he says, verse 2, I saw in my night vision. Church age. He said in verse 7, after this, I saw in the night vision. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Here it is. It says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. He's coming in the nighttime. Then he says, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. As travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Here it comes. Here's you and me. But ye, brethren, you and me, church, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You're children of the light. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. For they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Now, you see that thing? 
That Lord comes as a thief in the night. Church ages likened to night in the Bible. Daniel just showed you the three nations that are going to be in this time period in the night. And this woman, the harlot, who seduces men with her ways, her religion, she operates best in the night. That's what you got. Right now the world's in darkness and asleep, but we are children of the light. We got the book. We got the truth of God. We saw it last week in Jeremiah 23. We consider it in the latter days perfectly. We should know what's going on and what's happening around us. Now let me show you one more. Now what I'm about to show you is one of the most amazing things you'll ever see. Go over to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. Pick it up in verse 32. Now, this is the depth of Proverbs. This is what you get into in Proverbs. Proverbs is about the issues of life. Oh, yeah, but that evil man and that strange woman and that all the things that are going on, oh, you're seeing the depth of it today. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. But of that day and of that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, talking about the second coming of Christ, neither the Son but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray. For you know not when the time is. Here it comes. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey. Whoa, that's what we saw back in Proverbs 7. Isn't that what that harlot told that young guy? Come and let's take our love until the morning. Isn't that what she told him? She said because the, the, the man has gone on a long journey, he ain't going to be back for a while. Church age. He left his house. And gave authority to his servants and every man his work. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but the house that he left is Israel and the servants are you and me. And what is our job? To do the work. Verse 35, watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh. Here it comes, at even, at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Now what you've got here in these four watches of the night is the church age. Isaiah chapter 21, verses 11 and 12, tells us that we are supposed to uh, ask about these watches. We're supposed to know about these watches. First Thessalonians 5, 6 says that we're to watch and be sober. It's real simple. The church age runs approximately 2,000 years from here to here. And he breaks that 2,000 years down into four watches. Well, 2,000 divided by four is 500 years for each watch. Now, in your Bible in Mark chapter 13, if you don't have it, or maybe you want to do it on a piece of paper so you don't mess it up, you want to write this chart out as I've got it up here. And you want to put it at some point by Mark chapter 13. These four watches of the night that the harlot operates best by. And uh, she's telling this young man, come on, let's take our fill of love in the night because the goodman of the house is gone and he will not return until the morning. Now we get over here to Mark 13. It says about the Lord coming back. He tells you there's four watches. Now let's see how it works. We divided it up. Here's the first watch. Even 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. on your clock. 
in the Bible time, 33 A.D. to 500 A.D. The second watch was midnight. That'll be 9 p.m. to 12. That'll run 500 to 1,000 A.D. The third one was the cock crowing, 12 a.m. to 3 a.m., and the time period in that in history, 1,000 to 1,500. They match up with Revelation 1, 2, and 3 perfectly. The last watch is the morning watch. That runs at 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., and the Lord comes back at the beginning, at the end of that morning watch when the sun comes up. That's when he comes back. Now, I don't know if you know it or not. You guys have been out all night and hunting night to night. The darkest part of the night from here to here. The darkest part of the night is from, is from midnight till 3 a.m. After that, start to see a little light on the horizon. But the darkest part of the night is right there. Somebody says, well, why did you put a red line up there? Because this matches up the history. The darkest part of the night in the four watches, the darkest part of this in history will be what is commonly called, yes, you got it, the dark ages. Darkest part of the night, right on the money, right on the money. In your Bible, the night will always be a reference to the church age and tribulation with the coming of Christ, the morning sun coming up, the morning. Look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says, For behold, the day cometh that burneth like an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Here it comes, verse 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. That's the second coming of Christ. Notice how it's spelled. Son of Righteousness. It's not spelled S-O-N as we would think it. It's spelled S-U-N. Son of Righteousness. He's showing you when that sun comes up with that fourth watch, He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That harlot who seduces young men with her adulterous ways has been at work for almost 6,000 years. She's good at what she does. And just like any harlot, she thrives best at night, which is a picture of the church age. Now, I don't know if you know today, and this is where I'm going to get a little emotional here in just a minute. I don't know if you got it figured out today, but right here in Old Pass Baptist Church in 2014, on this day in June, I don't know if you know it yet or not, you are right here. You are right at the end of that fourth watch. You are right at the end. This is why you're seeing what goes on around you in the world today. This is why the world is in such turmoil. This is why America is in such turmoil. This is why it doesn't matter who becomes president. It doesn't matter what, who does what. It doesn't matter what the U.N. does or what Russia does or what anybody does. It's over. This world is in such a screwed up mess. It will never get pulled out by anybody on this planet. The nations that were once the great nations have went the way. America has fallen down. She's drunken. She's, she's completely inept at doing anything. What we're waiting for now is the one man who, as I speak this morning, is waiting in the wings to step on the scene and solve all of the earth's problems. Let me show you one more thing. Go to Mark chapter 6. Let me show you what your job and my job is. Now, I'm going to do a little preaching now. 
I'm sorry. The rest of it was just pent up frustration. <laughs> Mark chapter 6 has always been a favorite passage of mine. Maybe after today it'll be a favorite passage of yours. You know, it's, it's one thing, it's tough not to get discouraged in life today as Christians. So many people fall, fail. So many things don't work out. So many churches are just ridiculously stupid. So many things go on that never should go on. It, it's absolutely, absolutely incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And, I, and, I, and it's hard, it's hard uh, to, not, to lose your, not lose your focus. It really is. Mark chapter 6, verse 48, 45 through 48, has always been my point of reference to bring me back. It always puts it for me in a capsule form where I need to be. Let me read it for you, and then I'm going to try to explain it to you as best I can. Now, keep in mind, we've been talking about this harlot who works best at night. We looked at the practical applications of all this. Now we're down deep today. And now we know that the Lord has broken down the 2,000 years of the church age into four watches, and we know we're right here at the end. The end. We know that it starts uh, with the uh, uh, apostles and Christ, and it runs right up to the second coming of Christ. Bible talks about the day star arising in my heart. Christ is the day star in the Bible. Amen. He's going to put an end to this nighttime if he ain't figured that out yet. Amen. And I'm looking forward to it. Amen. He's going to put an end to the darkness. We're going to a place where there's no more night. We're going to the place where there's no more darkness. We're going to a place where there's no more sin. No marriage will ever bust up again. No kid will ever commit suicide. There'll be no drugs for anybody to get on. And I'm just getting warmed up. That'll happen when the day star arises. But you know where it starts? Starts in our hearts. Now, I know we can't know the day of the rapture. I get that. I know we can't. But you're not going to tell me if you and I aren't plugged into that book and have the Holy Spirit of God working for us. What after I just told you in the Song of Sodom and how the Lord just can't wait to see you and me. He's living inside you. You know the day the rapture of the church is the great wedding day for us. You know that when you get up and you're on fire for God and doing what God wants you to do, you got to know that that Holy Spirit of God knows that it's the day he's coming for you and me. He's going to be doing flip-flops inside us. You're going to get up and you're going to be out of whack. You're not going to be able to find your car keys. You're not going to be able to find your car. You're not going to find this. You're not going to find that. And you're not going to be able to function. And you know what? It ain't going to matter because he's going to come and take you out of this place. That's what I'm talking about. This is my passage right here. Now, my Bible tells me as much as I want to go home to be with the Lord and I hate this place and everything about it, my Bible tells me I'm to occupy till he comes. Here it is. And straight away he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethesda while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing. 
for the wind was contrary unto them. Oh, at about the fourth watch. He cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by. Now the stuff I'm about to show you here is what makes your Bible come alive. I apologize for most being a pastor, preacher. That's my profession. I Many times I apologize for my compatriots in arms in preaching for how shallow and how worthless they are when it comes to teaching you Bible truth. To not teach you the depth of the Word of God. To not give you and challenge you. The last church you ever want to go to is the church that you go and you feel good about yourself when you leave. Now you may want to go there, but that's the worst thing for you to do. Teaching is great. It gives out knowledge. But preaching makes you look inside yourself. And all of us, every day, and everything we do, never want to get... Com- I know you don't like it. I don't like it. You're lucky. you got to hear this sermon one time. I had to go through it 40 times this week. I still don't like it. But I need it. Because we, as God's people, can never get complacent. You know, when you go back to 44, 43 of this chapter... You know why he sent those disciples into that boat, into that sea? Because they had gotten complacent. Just like you and me, they had come to the place in their life where they were with Jesus. He was, he was taking bread and feeding 5,000 and fish and making great baskets of it. I mean, he was doing miracles. He was, he was healing people with leprosy, raising dead people. I mean, can you imagine being associated with that all the time? The indifference that set in. They really thought they were something special. And boy, that's how we get sometimes. We have a church where we have the Bible and you get all you want and you get everything you need and which you don't need sometimes and you just have it at your fingertips. And I want to tell you, you can get so much. And there's a great balance. And I'll be honest, I've never found that balance. I'm just like a fire hydrant. I just dump it out. But there's a balance that has to be of how much you get before, if you don't do something with it, you just forget like the apostles. And you know what God does then? He puts you in that little boat. Yeah. Sends you out in that sea in the middle of the night with the wind that's contrary and the waves coming over the sides of the boat. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. You know what he said? I constrain him to go into a ship. I sent him out in that little sea. Right there, that little sea is about three and a half miles at its widest point. They were, they were they are seven miles at its widest point. They were three and a half miles into it. In the dark black of the night, without any light, with the waves and the wind contrary and blowing over the sides of that boat, and they were scared to death. But yet the Bible says that when he sent him into that ship, he went into a mountain to pray. That's a picture of my father sitting on the right hand of God the Father, Romans 8, making intercession for me while I'm on the sea of life. It's a picture of our life, the church age. It's a picture of where we're at. It's a picture, the ship in the midst of the sea, the sea of life, the raging sea in the middle of the night. Nothing could be more terrifying. 
And yet the Bible says, even though we're in a dark, black part of the night where nobody can see their hand in the front of their face and he's on a mountain praying, the Bible says he saw them. I don't care what you go through in life. I don't care how black you think I am preaching now. I don't care how black you think it gets. I don't care how dark, how raging the sea, how boisterous the waves and the wind. He's looking through the window at you and me. Praise God, glory to God for that. The Bible says the wind was contrary to them. The wind of this world is always going to be contrary to us. He says that we're in darkness. This world's always going to be darkness to you and me. The sea was raging. The sea of life will always be raging. I take comfort in that passage because it tells me what I should be doing in the midst of this storm for the work that God has given me to do. He put me in that boat. He sent me out into that sea and he's on the mountaintop praying for me right now. My job is not to worry about the waves. My job is not to worry about the wind. My job is not to worry about the sea and the darkness. My job and your job is to row the boat. We row the boat. Stay the course. Don't get sidetracked on all the things. And here he comes, the fourth watch of the night. Oh, how joyous they must have been when they saw him coming for them. We talked about in our Proverbs, on, or not in our Thursday night class, the great deep. That's a picture of the Lord and the rapture of the church coming down. And let me tell you something. The book of Proverbs is showing you and me how this evil, strange woman who's connected to the evil man, has worked all down through history. She seduces the simple ones. She takes the young men and young women that are void of understanding. She takes the ones that couldn't see God and what's going on around them. She takes the ones who will naturally go into her neighborhood, make the bad choices, get into bad circumstances, get into bad relationships. She knows it only takes just a snap of the fingers for you to lose what you've got with God in your fellowship. And every day of the day, all week long, all year long, she will bring the things into our lives that will make us the opportunity to make the wrong choices. But those who have the light... Thank God that he did not give me some translation that I have to rely on man's ability to give me the words of God. Thank God I got the very pure words of God. The light that shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. The book that gives me perception. The book that gives us discernment and discretion. We who are in the midst of the sea, in the midst of the storm, in the black of the night, I love that passage because no matter, I know where I'm at. I know that day star. I know my history. I know how it lies to the Bible. I know the blackness of that four watches. I know the darkest part of the night. And I know right now in America and around the world, people look at it and we look at it and we look at the darkness and we look at the blackness and the things scare us and the things make us afraid. 
But I want to tell you on the authority of the word of God, don't be afraid because I'm telling you this morning, I see the light breaking in the eastern sky. Amen. Amen. He's coming back. Yes, sir. He's coming back. And that old harlot and that old evil man will get their due. You know, most people don't know. Some of you do. Some of you got a pretty good history on church, a handle on church history. I know John Christensen does. John does. Many of you do. This is not something that we just found out last week. What I'm preaching to you has went down through the centuries. You don't hear about it much because the job of the evil woman and the strange woman and the man of sin is to cover it all up. A hundred years ago, everybody who was saved believed what we believe today about the Bible and God's coming. In a short hundred years, we're on the outside looking in. Nobody believes it anymore. Nobody believes the Bible's the Word of God. Nobody believes He's really coming back. Everybody just scoffs at it and doesn't care. Well, I'm telling you, I still believe he's coming back because I got a book that tells me he's done. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his word will never pass away. And I'm telling you, all down through history, we lose sight of the fact. We lose our perspective. We lose our discernment. We lose our discretion. And we see that these Bible-believing groups all down through Europe believed exactly what we believe. In Hearn, Germany, from 1500 to the early part of the 1900s, right before World War I, they had a night watchman that went through the city. And a night watchman's job was to cry out every hour the time. They didn't have alarm clocks like we got where you can look over and see it in your illuminated dial or look at your watch with all of its little diamonds in there to sparkle or hit the little light button and it comes on. They didn't have that. They had a guy that walked through the city. And he would walk through and he'd say, one o'clock and all is well. Two o'clock and all is well. And you'd kind of stir out of your sleep, but you knew it was two o'clock in the morning and all was well. In Hearn, Germany, right up to about the beginning of World War I, <clears throat> it had been a tradition <clears throat> for almost 400 years that these men that cried, these town criers, the watch, night watchmen, they, they cried out what I'm about to give you. <clears throat> and it's based, <clears throat> it's based on a King James, <clears throat> 1611, <clears throat> authorized version, and it's got every doctrine in it that I gave you. At midnight, ye brethren, Here the midnight clock is humming. At midnight, our bridegroom will be coming. At one o'clock in the morning, past one, the day breaks out of darkness. Morning star will appear and surely break our hardness. Two o'clock. Tis two on Jesus waiting this silent season. Yea, no two so near related as our will and reason. At three o'clock, the clock is three. The blessed three doth merit the best of praise from body, soul, and spirit. At four, tis four o'clock when these make supplication. The Lord will be the fourth on that grand occasion. 
Five is the clock. Five virgins were discarded. When five with wedding garments, they were rewarded. The clock is now six. I go off my station. Look, my dear friend, now for your own salvation. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. See what Proverbs is? It's an amazing book. These men down through the 1500s and the 1400s, they knew exactly what I'm talking about today. That old tyrant crier knew more Bible doctrine than any theologian you could find today. He probably didn't have a third grade education, but he had his Bible. And he knew that at six o'clock on God's clock on his morning, we're going home. So don't worry about the waves. Don't worry about the storm. Don't worry about the, the darkness. God put us in a boat together at Old Path Baptist Church. There's a room for more. There's more oars. But our job as this church in these last days is to stay focused, not on the storm, not on the rain, not on the wind, but stay focused on staying the course and rowing the boat. He'll come to us. And the fourth watch, and I can tell you right now, I see the light breaking through on the east. He's coming. Oh, you've been out there hunting. A lot of you go turkey hunting, deer hunting. <clears throat> Best deal is to get out in that stand or get out there before the sun comes up. You've got to fumble, fumble your way down through the woods to get where you're at. And you sit down there for about an hour, <clears throat> and it looks like it ain't ever going to get light. And suddenly over in the east, you see that first crack of light coming up. It gets a little brighter. It gets a little brighter. By the time that sun gets over the trees and gets up a little higher, everything that was darkness around you is gone. And I want to tell you this morning, the sun's coming up. The day star will arise in our hearts. The sun of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And when he comes, the darkness will flee. Every head bowed and every eye closed. <clears throat>